Welcome to another edition of The Daily Pursuit. Today, we are diving into the topic of gait and gait analysis with Coach Danny from Port Coquitlam CrossFit. Hope you guys enjoy it. Looking at gait today, um, reason being is that gait is a super important thing. And for those that are like, what the hell are we talking about with gait? Gait is walking. It's our pattern of our movement. Um, and we want to look at gait from two different perspectives um, or two categories, I should say. One is biomechanical and one is neurological. Neuro, fuck, I can't type it. Neurolog, nope. Logical, neurological. Yeah. Not a freaking English major. <laughs> um, so two categories that we look at, okay? Now, an overriding principle that we need to understand with gait is the amount of force that our body goes through when we walk, okay? okay? Um, on a day-to-day -day basis, if we are walking on a, a base due to, that has injuries, previous injuries, right? Say you had ankle injuries mm -hmm. and you have limitation in your ankle, mm -hmm. okay? And then we're walking on that yep. and we have improper movement pattern, mm -hmm. We need to understand that there's a shit ton of force that's going through our body um, when we're walking on it. Right. And so if it's done improperly, if, we're, if we have an improper gait pattern, right. that cumulatively right. can play a bigger role, right. right? A minor joint issue can become a bigger issue due to the amount of force that goes through our body. Right. So there was a Danish study done in 2011, 2012 that took the average male, which was about uh, 80 kilos, um, and they take roughly uh, 1.08 to 1.2 times your body weight when you walk is yeah. the amount of force that goes through your body. So even if we go to the top end of that, multiply that 1.2 and the average person walks 8,400 steps in a day. In, so in Denmark, maybe. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know here, like probably yeah. a little bit different, yeah, but even city. so, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, people still try to get their 10,000 steps in in right. a day, okay, right? True, Which enough. is, yeah. um, you know, I think even on average, even if it was slightly lower than that, but if we do the calculation of all this, it works out to, and I'm going to switch the units here just because it's easier and it looks cooler, 2 million pounds, okay, through the day um, of force that is going through the body. Okay. Now, speaking on like if you're lifting and you're training, there's force that's going through the body there. And obviously, a correlation between that is if we have an improper joint movement, right, we don't have mobile joints, we know that what we need for, for proper movement is mobile joints. Yep. If we have mobile joints, we have, we have strength there. Yep. We can have strength there. Yep. If we don't have movement, full control through our joints, mm -hmm. we're going to have brakes yep. put on. So if someone doesn't have, a, uh, or someone has joint issues, mm -hmm. and then they're walking continuously, that's 2 million pounds of force through the day that's being improperly transmitted into the body. Right. Okay? Right. So wherever that force goes, we have what's called ground reaction force. Yep. So every step that we take, mm -hmm. the body needs to absorb. It's yep. going to push back down on the ground and absorb that force, and it's going to transmit up into the body. Mm -hmm. Now, something that I think um, people often uh, may not realize is the actual pattern of walking is correlated, and, and why we have arm swinging and different things that way um, is actually a result of that force that goes through our body. Okay? So when you take a step with your right foot, right. the force that happens when you yeah. step comes up the body, yeah. okay, it's gonna cross at the SI joint, yeah. and then it's gonna travel up, and that force is then gonna split. So once it gets up to the shoulder, it's gonna split down into the tricep, yeah. and that, that force is gonna transmit into the tricep extending, which is going into arm swing, oh. and it's gonna come up into the neck, yeah. okay? And then it's dissipate out, right. if we have proper force transmission in the body. Okay. If you have a joint issue somewhere, right. 
that may not happen. So you might start to feel knee pain because you don't have some, you, because you have an immobile joint somewhere. Okay. And so the force is not dissipating in the body as it should. And this is where we start to see issues with people walking. You see things that start to happen with how they walk right. where it looks kind of funky. Right? Oh, so, sorry, it, when you, so the ground reaction force, yeah. you're actually basically reacting and dissipating the ground reaction force mm -hmm. by doing things like the tricep extending. Yeah, so that arm swing oh. occurs because of the force transmitted through the body, and then the body will fire, they will fire that, yeah. right? And that's how, that's how it sort of correlated in the body. Okay, cool. So if someone do, has an issue, right. we'll see it in their gait pattern, right. which will tell us, Biomechanically, something's going on, right. as well as neurologically. Okay. We can correct these things, yeah. and that's the goal, is to work to correct these things so that as they walk, yeah. force is being transmitted properly, right? right? And they're, that way, when they're moving and doing other things, yeah. we know that, okay, functionally, they under, their bodies are uh, utilizing that force correctly. Okay. Because with anything else you do, squatting, anything that way, you're still doing ground reaction force. Right. Or you're 100%. still pushing into the ground. Yeah. So, first and foremost, if we look at the biomechanical side, what we're going to, because of the way that the, the force transmits up, it crosses the SI joint mm -hmm. on both sides as it comes up both legs. We want to consider the SI joint as sort of our main focus when we look biomechanically. Because that's kind of our center focus, yeah. right? <coughs> so, four categories that we want to consider. Um, category one simply means that there's no movement. Okay, so if you're watching someone walk, and sometimes we'll use little stickers so that we can see stickers on the SI, stickers on the, the hips and um, posterior um, uh, um, aspects. Mm -hmm. um, so if we're watching those, mm -hmm. we're going to see that literally there's no movement happening in the hip. There's no rotation, shearing, anterior posterior glides. There's nothing okay. happening there. Um, oftentimes we see kind of like more upper body movement pattern or it's very rigid kind of like walking yeah. that they do um, with the SI. Okay, so that's a category one. It's relatively uncommon okay. to see. Um, it's not something that typically shows up, right? For someone to be so locked up that there's no actual movement there. Right. More often than not, what we see is category twos and category threes. So category twos, what we'll see is a lateral shearing. Okay. okay? So we'll see this shearing up and down laterally of the hips. Yep. Okay, so as they walk, you know how you see someone, they're going and they're like, doing mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. right? There's that lateral shear up and down happening. So like the model walk? Yes, yeah, like the model walk. Okay. Yeah, exactly, right? So that's what we consider category two. Okay. okay. And so as you're watching, you're going to see the hips rise and shear side to side. So model two right? pretty fucked up. Okay. Well, yeah, it's, it's a pattern that, that just is like, yes, it can be like taught, Yeah. right? But it's still dysfunctional. Well, right? can, can they technically adapt to that and maybe find some way to, let's say in the category, so the categories, category yep. one's kind of like probably the worst yep. and then category four is probably the most optimal. Yep. Can they possibly find some way like that's efficient for them to dissipate this type of force in a way where it's maintainable? They will adapt to it, Yeah. but that also will mean that there's, they're transmitting that force in their body in a, in a way that, um, is again it's not optimal okay. for them to do like this is optimal like right yeah. this is the most efficient way this is the optimal way that from a structural physiological sense of how the body's made this is what we want to see so like, because with these even if we see these someone might adapt to it yeah but it's going to cause problems over time over time yeah sure. right so like this is like 
perfect squat, knees going right over the toes. This is like knee delgate squat, but yeah. still able to squat a lot. Still of able to squat, right? Okay. So it, yeah, it doesn't mean that someone can't walk. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like the thing too that. So I'll just get through this, and then we'll talk a little bit about some of that too. Because so category two, lateral shear. So we see that up down. Mm -hmm. Category three, we see the rotation. Mm -hmm. Right. So someone with their hips that really rotate as they walk. And then category four, anterior posterior glide. So this is where we see that nice tilt forward and backwards, right? The hip structure moves nicely, right? This way, right? Um, so that's ideal for what we'd like to see is an anterior posterior glide of the hips, okay. right? Equally. Now, when we're looking at gait, oftentimes, again, people will have it as an ingrained pattern that they do. So take someone that's an army vet. Mm -hmm. Right, and I've done assessments on um, some army vets before, and they have a very, very ingrained pattern. Okay. Right, it's that military posture. Right, right. They're super tall, upright. Everything's lined, mm -hmm. and it's boom. Like they're very rigid and very specific with how they move. So they've patterned that and created that pattern. Now, that doesn't mean that it's a proper functional pattern for them. Right, it just means that they've done that a whole ton of a lot. Right, they still have issues with. So, would you okay. mostly see? Rotation with them, category three. Uh, the typically, vets? yeah. Because they're so yeah. upright. They're so rigid with it that uh, it's not. There isn't the anterior posterior. It's yeah. There's a rotation that they get with the hips right. because they're very counter. And that's what you've seen. In contralateral, yeah. Oh, cool. Right okay. now, what we do, yeah, <laughs> what we often do, and this kind of plays into the whole assessment component of this, yeah. um, which I'll just quickly touch on now, is we do something that's called dual tasking. When we do an assessment on gait, typically, um, and what dual tasking essentially is, is getting someone to do another task uh, so that we can truly see what their gait pattern looks like. Okay. Because when you ask someone, hey, I want you to walk for me, mm -hmm. they go into the model walk where they're trying to walk perfectly, what they consider perfect. Yeah, when you did the right? gait assessment on me, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Right? Right. You, right, you start to think about it. So right? this, this is the model walk. Yeah, that's typically what you would see with, with the model walk is that lateral shear. Okay. But what I mean by model walk is this, in, in this sense, is just that they become conscious of it. It's like if you say oh, someone like, I'm oh. going to look, if you were to do posture analysis, yeah. but you use the words, I'm going to check your posture. What do yeah. people do? Oh, crap. Yeah. Right? They stand up freaking tall. Position. Yeah. They're yeah. like, how is it? I'm like, you don't stand like that. Yeah. Uh, right? So, so model walk as in like not model. Not like this, shear. but okay. like okay, just in the sense that they're like, they're on now. Okay. Right? Okay. So... What I'll often do is I'll, I'll get someone to walk back and forth, and I'll just be like, okay, I just want you to go for a walk, down and back. And then I'll do, I'll do dual tasking with them. And what dual tasking is, is giving them a challenge cognitively to think about so that they forget about their walk. So then it shows us their true walk, yeah. right? Or it shows us how they compute things, right. okay? So dual tasking, sometimes what I might do is uh, I want you to say every other month out loud, right. right? And so they go January, March, May, right? And they work through that. Um, and they start to, what happens is that we start to see what their true actual walk looks like. Mm. So when I did that with um, the army vet that I worked with, he was like, go, okay, go for a walk. And he's like super rigid. Mm. He does this like the left, 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 right, left kind of style. Mm. Um, dual tasked with him. And all of a sudden his like arms relaxed, right? His whole gait relaxed. And we actually got to see his proper pattern right. and see what his actual gait looked like right. when he wasn't on. And whether that when he wasn't on, now we can truly see. Now we can truly see what category he lies in, right? Um, and you can do any sort of dual tasking, like um, count back from 100 by seven, right? Yeah. I can't even freaking do that on yeah. my own. But it's funny because what happens is that 
this thing, which is a branch off of all this, it shows you someone's capacity to um, coordinate movement and thought at the same time, right. which can give you insight. This is another conversation, but it can give you insight into someone's ability to do work. Because right. what I've seen is like get someone to dual task and as they're thinking through the problem, they stall in their walk. Right. And they either have to time their step with what they're having to do right. or they literally stop so when they're trying to think. You're killing two birds with one yeah. Okay. So it gives me a little bit of insight into like when I'm going to be teaching this person something, mm -hmm. I can't give them too much cognitive thought mm -hmm. to work through because it's going to screw up what they're trying to do. Okay. Right? It's so a whole other conversation we can have. But um, basically, if you're, ever gonna, if you're ever looking at gate analysis, yeah. you might use dual tasking yeah. to show a clear picture of what their gate looks like. Would you... So if you're assessing, let's say yep. I'm trying to assess somebody, yep. would I get them to just walk? Yep. I, would I just tell them to walk first and then I'd give them yep. tasking? Yeah. So I just get someone to walk. Mm -hmm. I, say, I just want you to walk back and forth for me. Right. And, that and I just see what they do. I might not need to do a task. Okay. Right? But if I see a pattern or a way that they walk that's very much an ingrained thing, and you can tell. Right? You can tell when someone like tightens up and walks in okay. a very certain way okay. and they're not just relaxed. Right. Right. Um, but also, I'll just do a task just to see if there's a change. Okay. Right? Just to challenge that, uh, stack it a little bit, and just see if there's a change that occurs. Got it. Okay? So that's the biomechanical model. We look at the SI joint because that's where force crosses yep. um, in the body, and we work through and identify is there uh, which category they're in right. from that perspective. Sorry, for the dual task, yep. is it always a cognitive task, or could it also be like, uh, like a physical task? We usually try to keep it cognitive. Okay. Um, just I because. I you got me doing pencil push-ups as I was walking. Yeah. So, so that was just a different task. Um, okay. Um, yes, we could do that. You could stack it in that in that way. Okay. Um, now it's just a different load on the system. Okay. Right? So from a basic load. Basic load. Keep just it a cognitive task. Cognitive task. Got right. Um, because then it's just I want to see full arm swing and stuff. The stuff that I was doing with you in that yeah. was. Um, just stacking it in a different way, okay. right? But more often than not, it's a cognitive because then we're not taking arms out of it. Okay. I want to see arm swing and what happens there. Okay. Okay. So, other side of this coin, which is where with gait analysis, we actually spend most of our time addressing because it feeds back to biomechanical, is the neurological side. Got it. Now, with the neurological side, we're going to be looking at four different types of patterns. Okay. Or four different, uh, I shouldn't say patterns, four different um, uh, uh, pieces that we might be seeing in the walk. Okay. So four different things that might occur. So one is bobblehead. Okay. So with bobblehead, um, this is where we see someone going for a walk and they have that kind of like, their head's kind of bouncing, right? It's not a super common thing, um, you, you might see it occur. Uh, it's not one of the most common uh, pieces neurologically that we might see, but um, as someone's walking down, you'll just see the kind of like, there's a lack of, of head control, okay. what it looks like, is they're kind of like, woo, bouncing all over the place. Side to side or forward back? It can be kind of anywhere, anywhere. right? Okay. Um, so when someone's walking, we want to see that their head remains relatively still, okay. right? Their head should be able to maintain control and there's not much kind of bounciness or anything happening with yep. it, right? Um, so if we see that, with all of these drills that we're going to talk about, um, there's always some possible solutions that we can work on, okay? Um, with bobblehead, uh, and again, with any of this, you need to have done a full history 
right? You have the intake process, right? We go through a full intake um, and get a full history of, of things going on. So someone might have had some um, uh, jaw issues or cervical issues or something like that. Um, that could affect the reason why they're uh, potentially having bobblehead. And so that might lack not of control. Necessarily be related to how they're walking. If let's what? say they had a jaw problem, like you yeah. said from the assessment, yeah, and if they have bobblehead while yeah. they're walking, that's not directly correlated to let's say like the ground reaction forcing you not being able to participate that properly, or is that just due to it's the a, it's a component of it, right? Okay. okay. So um, the force that's transmitted through the body right. could have an effect on that. Yeah. Right. Um, previous injuries have an effect on that right. right so there's a multitude this is why like when you take a full history you need to just see all the pieces and go okay what could be all the potential factors right right so with bobblehead some of the ways that we can can look at this and address this um, is working cervical mobility work okay we can do jaw mobility work okay. um, we can also do midline mobility work right. okay um, deeper layers that we can get into this is vestibular okay. um, so getting your vestibular system uh, fired up in a way that your, your brain then understands where your head's at in space okay. and knows how to control it, yeah. right? Um, again, ball head isn't super, super common um, when, when looking at gait. Like, yeah. more often than not, you're gonna see some of the other types come up more than anything, um, but it is something that does pop up. Um, another thing that uh, is a component of bobblehead is their eyes. Okay. So if someone has had visual issues, right? Or they have visual uh, discrepancies, right? Not able, their eyes aren't working for them. Um, they might have bobblehead because of their inability to actually focus on a point, okay. right? And we call that gaze stabilization. Mm -hmm. So if they're walking and they're not able to actually focus on something, mm -hmm. then there's kind of a, the, the natural reaction from the brain is like trying to figure out where it's at. So you'll mm -hmm. see that bobblehead occur Got it. because it can't focus on a point and stay there. Got it. Okay. So that's sort of one of the things we might see. Um, a secondary thing that we might see is a loss of arm swing. Okay. Um, and as that sounds, uh, that's basically just their arms stay by the side, okay. right? They don't have a nice full arm swing coming from the shoulder, mm -hmm. right? And then extending down, right? Um, sometimes it's just that they're here in their lower arm, mm -hmm. right? Um, or their arms are just super rigid at their side. Okay. Right? They don't really have anything happening there. Right. And it doesn't have to be bilateral. Yeah. They can have one arm that moves and one arm that doesn't. Okay. Right? So um, it's a fairly common component uh, that you see with people where they just lack full arm swing. And something that we'll do uh, when you watch an assessment is ask someone to walk a little faster. Because right. speed is going to correlate to how much force is transmitted and how much like swing you'll get. Right. You watch someone go faster, their arms are going to swing more. Right? You watch someone run, their arms are going to swing faster. Right. So arm swing, I'll often, if I'm watching it and they do a little down and back for me and it's like, well, that was a slow walk, speed right. up for me, right. see if it changes. Okay. okay. Now, the nice thing about arm swing is that in order to fix it, you just need to do complex movements mm -hmm. on that same side. So if, you're, if you watch someone and their right arm wasn't moving, mm -hmm. their left arm was swinging and their right arm wasn't, mm -hmm. you basically need to bring awareness to the side of the arm swing. Okay. So you could do complex movements on that where it's like, I want you to do figure eight wrists. While you're walking? You do it while you're walking. Okay. Right? You could do pause and do it right. and then go back okay. and go walk again. Okay. Um, but basically it's just complex movements on that same side um, of the body. Okay. Right? Real simple kind of fix for that and we often see that it 
changes right away. Got it. Right? Um, third is PMRF, pontomedullary reticular formation. Okay? So this is a component of the brain stem. Um, now, with our PMRF, this is a, a gait pattern that we see quite often. Okay? So the components of this is an internal rotation, rotation um, of upper arm, or of the arm, I should say, of the arm, um, and an external rotation of the leg. Uh, and this is ipsilaterally. So internal and external, okay. same side. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this is a quite uh, common uh, component. Our PMRF, uh, which is again, is a component of our brain stem. Um, some of the... Hey, how are you? Good. Oops. Good to see. Today? No. She isn't. She isn't. She took off uh, okay. a little while ago, but hard yeah. things. Good. I was going to say how yeah. the everything sorted out with the parking. Parking police. Yeah. Yeah, it's been better. It's yeah. been better. Yeah. Because everybody put up their own signs. Everyone Not put up their own confusion. signs. Yeah. So, and I mentioned to Caroline last time I had a Strata Council meeting mm -hmm. was that she was going to reach out to Mr. Mr. Furniture Guy over here. Yeah, because they were moving. Um, and Hello. Take two. Take two. Okay, so these two guys, first ones we see bobblehead, loss of arm swing. Um, like I say, with our bobblehead, uh, sometimes there's or uh, midline issues that might be going on there, which is why we see it. Um, but we also might have other underlying issues like gaze stabilization issues or vestibular issues, which is why their brain essentially doesn't understand where their uh, head is at. So we see stuff happening there. Um, loss of arm swing, relatively straightforward. Bring awareness to that side. So do complex movements on the same side of the arm that's not moving. Um, and just to bring some recognition back there and we'll often see an improvement in the, in the arm swing. Um, third one, this is where we start to get a little more common. It sounds super fancy and uncommon, a PMRF gait. Um, so pontomedullary reticular formation. Uh, this guy is part of our brainstem. Um, and some of its main roles is it inhibits pain. Um, and it also gives us um, structure and tone above and below T6. Okay. Um, and it also a, a resting tone in our body. Okay. So resting muscle tone. Um, but with PMRF, if we don't have proper signaling or proper connection through there in our body, um, it's not firing up in the, in the right way, then we'll see certain patterns um, occur. And so the main thing that we'll see with this is an internal rotation of the um, upper arm. And we'll see an external rotation of the lower, of the lower leg. And this is all ipsilaterally, um, which means same side. Right? So we'll see an internal rotation of the arm and an external rotation of the leg. So as someone's walking, what I basically look for is, can I see their palm as they walk? Because if it's internally rotated, I'll see their palm as so they're walking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm always watching from behind okay. because I'm also looking at SI. Got it. Right? So as you get better at gait analysis, you'll be able to be checking this, right. but also seeing this. Right? Um, so always looking from behind. Um, when they walk back towards you, obviously you're seeing front, yeah. but it's always the easiest because if you can see their palm yeah. and then you see that external rotation of their foot, yeah. then you know, and it's the same side, then you know there's potential PMRF issue. Got it. Meaning that 
there's a lack of signaling proper information processing occurring through that whole chain. Okay. So um, we could have a bilateral PMRF where someone's externally rotated, internally rotated. I'm over-exaggerating, oh. <laughs> but they have that external foot and they have that internal upper body arm. Could it go contralateral? Could it go contralateral if they go... So if you're, this is internally and if this is external? No. No. Yeah. Yeah. So it's always going to be, if it's a PMRF issue, you're always going to see ipsilateral side. Okay. Okay. Um, now, with PMRF, um, the way that we look to uh, correct this and work this um, is given that the PMRF, um, how we fire it up, I should say, how we signal that is we can do stabilization on the same side of the body. So we're going to do stabilization on the same side that we have the issue. Um, and we're going to do complex movement patterns on the opposing side, contralateral side. Okay, so say I had a right PMRF issue, so my right arm was internally rotated, my uh, right leg was externally rotated, I would do stabilization work on this side, which for some could simply mean standing on right leg, and that's enough load um, from that perspective, and then we can get into load in the future, um, and I'll do a complex movement pattern on the opposing side, which means I might do a complex um, like shoulder crank or something like that on the left okay. side. So basically, by doing those movements, if we're getting into, if we kind of have to have an understanding of, of neurology on a baseline level, but essentially, movement on the left side of my body is going to come up and go to my right frontal cortex. Yep. Okay, that's going to go down yep. cerebellum, down brainstem, okay, and then uh, correlate out, yep. okay, throughout the body. Um, so, in order to fire up that PMRF yep. on the right side of the body, right. movement on this side will do it, yep. stabilization on this side will do it. What's the deficiency, sorry, what's the deficiency that first causes the internal rotation of the upper arm and the external rotation of the lower leg? Is that the deficiency for the PMRF to be not? There's an inhibition of signaling going on, okay? To the, to the effective side? Yeah. Okay. Right? So, the, so the right PMRF, mm -hmm. if, if we saw that on the right side, mm -hmm. the right PMRF, mm -hmm. that right component of it, mm -hmm. is there's an inhibition of, of signaling occurring there neurologically. Right. So okay. doing the complex movement on the opposite side yeah. gives that signal. Will fire up more neural input yeah. to that side. Oh, right? So it's, it's one of these things where, you know how, so uh, one way that we can look at this is, you know when someone's immobilized, they hurt themselves in one arm, yep. right? And we say, okay, train the other arm, yep. and there's a crossover neurologically, yep. okay? Of, of occurrence doesn't mean you're gonna get the same strength build, right. but there's a crossover, there's a connection in the body. Right. Our body's connected in all sorts of funky, crazy ways, right. right? So in this regard, in a simplistic level, if we wanna fire up that side of our brain, okay. which is right frontal cortex, mm -hmm. et cetera, down the chain, mm -hmm. complex movement on the left side, the opposing side, we'll do yep. that for right, and stabilization will do that for the right. Okay. Ah, stabilization okay. exercises. So anything that stabilizes this side of my body right. will fire up this side right. of my brain. Now, does it okay. have to be done at the same time, or is it just is that just a more effective way? To do it? Uh, it's going to provide a greater stimulus, well, right? Because our brain likes novelty and yeah. it likes stimulus and load. Right. So if someone is super super beginner, then in the sense of like from a load perspective, yeah. then it might be that a, a stabilization right. work might give them enough, enough so stimulus. you're just trying to cross the threshold? Yep, exactly. Give enough. Okay, exactly. It. You want to cross the threshold to give enough stimulus. And mostly for people who don't have crazy deficiencies, um, 
that can be done with stabilization on the affected side and yeah. complex movement on the other side. Got yeah, it. exactly. Right? And the thing is, is that with these uh, possible corrections, yeah. um, you should see a change happen immediately. Okay. Now, the thing with that is you see a potential, if it works and it's enough load for them, mm -hmm. you'll see the change happen immediately. So you'll see a correction of the internal rotation and you'll see a correction of the external rotation of the foot. Yeah. Now, how long that lasts is based on the individual, okay. right? And the amount of load that they were under, sure. right? Because uh, for some, it could last five steps. Yeah. For others, it could last two minutes, it. right? It's just a matter of where they're at and how much input they need uh, into that area, right? right? Um, if they're lacking a ton of input there, then we need to drill that. Okay. Whereas for others, it might be like, ooh, like really liked it. The brain was like, cool, I love this. And so you're able to sustain that pattern for longer, okay? Um, the other thing that you can also do is uh, strength work, okay? So if you think, um, like if, we're, if we see someone that has a, uh, or sorry, what I should say this is, if you're looking at it from a training perspective, okay? Someone that has a PMRF gait, we can make a change in uh, that PMRF gait relatively quickly through a stabilization and contralateral movement. From a training programming perspective, what we might look to do to further enhance this is strength training on the contralateral side. Got it. More than the, um, than the side affected side. Okay. So if we were to just live in a vacuum for a second and go, okay, we want to just solely fix that and really fire up that side and completely like work on that, this issue, strength training on contralateral side really solely will really fire up the other side. And that just plays to the complex movement firing up that side of the brain. But I, I guess you're just making it so that the complex movement is, is higher um, in, or it's higher in pressure just because you're adding load to yep, it. Yep, exactly. Got you're adding load to the contralateral side, Got it. and so that's firing up the brain even more. Right. So now to say like, okay, you have this issue and I'm gonna make you just do, your right side is the effective side, I'm gonna make you do just left side strength work for the next six to eight weeks, yeah. you probably hate me. Yeah. Cause you're like, dude, I, I'm, I wanna like clean and I wanna do stuff and yeah, I wanna yeah, snatch. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm not gonna actually do that, but what you might do is just a lot of your preparatory work right. might be contralateral focused. Right. right. Now does this have to be, can't you just, can't, so can't you just do single leg and single arm like work? Mm -hmm. um, does it have to be loaded? more so on the contralateral side? If we're looking to correct this, yeah. yes. Oh, I see. Right? Because of the signaling to the brain. Okay. Right? So the, if we do load, say the right side was the affected side, yep. and we load the left side, mm -hmm. and we do complex movements, they're complex strength training work on that mm -hmm. side, mm -hmm. the brain's gonna pay more attention, mm -hmm. right? Which means that the neural signaling that we get mm -hmm. to that side of the brain mm -hmm. is gonna be heightened. So we're going to get more neural input happening through that, which is right. going to bring more better signaling, clearer signaling through that right. PMRF on that side, right. which is going to clean up that pattern and position. Right. I guess if you think about it, I then like the neural input is limited mm -hmm. to the point of how much, of how much the brain can like, process, mm -hmm. then you want to use as much of that with the contralateral side mm -hmm. to correct the effect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Right. So again, in a vacuum, if we were just to be able to go, okay, six, eight weeks strength work on that one side. Yeah to fix that problem if yep. it was a major issue. With this, typically we're looking at it from what are the high payoffs that give us the change? Yeah. We need to continue to do some training work yeah. 
that uh, continue to uh, properly provide input to that side of the brain that's inhibited, but we still can do other training as well, right? So again, PMRF, we're gonna see internal upper arm, external lower arm, stabilization on the side that's affected, complex movements on the opposing side, okay? Now, the last thing that we'll see um, is a Sarah, I always fucking spell cerebellum wrong. Cerebellar. Cerebellar. Gate. I always forget if the R's. Um, so a cerebellar gate pattern. Yeah. This is where you will see uh, both an internal rotation of the upper and lower limb. So you'll see that rotation in, and it might be just one side, yeah. but they're both internally. So someone will walk and it's, I know the camera can't quite see that, but um, internal arm, internal foot. Uh, Epsilateral? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. Or ex- could it be external, external? Internal, internal? No, it's always internal, oh, always internal. Internal, internal, internal. Always okay. internal, internal. Right? So you're going to see an internal rotation, upper arm, and lower limb. Limb. Ipsilaterally. Probably can't read that at all, but internal rotation, upper and lower limb, limp, uh, ipsilaterally. Yeah. Okay. Um, so this essentially cerebellar gate. Cerebellum, uh, the simplistic way of looking at this is our ABCs, accuracy, balance, and coordination. Okay. okay that's big driver of what our cerebellum does. Okay. Obviously, there's more to it, but cerebellum on a baseline level, accuracy, balance, coordination is what it provides us. So if we have a cerebellar gate issue, what we'll see is that internal rotation and uh, both those sides, okay. right? So there's a coordination issue yep. happening, right? Now, what we, what we can do to uh, drill this and help to fix this is do complex movements on the same side. Because if it's a cerebellar gate issue and there's a coordination issue, mm-hmm. if we do complex movements on that same side, we start to work that cerebellum because movements on that side are going to work that same cerebellum um, and it's going to start to bring awareness and ability of coordination. So you could work complex wrist movements, complex arm movements, complex leg movements, or a, a whole function of, of all that to help correct this pattern. So complex movements ipsilaterally if you see someone with a cerebellar gate problem. On the, yeah, on the same side. On the same side. Okay. So if they had right cerebellar gate, yeah. internal, internal, yeah. we do complex movements on that same side. Right. Sorry, when you mean complex yeah. movements on the same side, well, this is going, after, going back to the PMRF too. Yeah. For complex movements, are you doing, like, because you, you, you showed me the example of um, like a shoulder crank. with the shoulder crank. Yep. Could you, would you also want to do it with the lower limb as well? You could. You could? Okay. Yeah. yeah, just anything on that side right. of complex. Right. Complexity. And I, I guess that would just increase signaling mm-hmm. in terms of, okay. Or yeah. increase, like, increase the load to the PMRF. Exactly, yeah. right? Like, Depending on the individual, you might load this and stack this in multiple different ways, right? So when I was being tested um, for this, uh, I know that I have a right PMRF, right? And so, but for me, and and not a bragging thing, but I'm a fairly strong dude. And so the load that I needed um, was a little bit higher. So when I was being tested for this, my, my mentor that was testing me, she had me, she goes, okay, you got a right PMRF. We did a just basic load of like held a kettlebell, did that, and did some shoulder cranks. Yeah, was okay. Yeah, right. It gave a little bit of, of uh, response, but it didn't last very long. Okay. 
So what that said was that my brain kind of paid attention, yeah. but it wasn't enough stimulus for it to go like, whoa, okay, I'm listening, yeah. right? So basically what she did is she had me hold kettlebell yeah. and then she herself hung off my freaking shoulder, <laughs> right? So it forced me to stabilize the hell out of this side. Right. And then I had um, this side uh, shoulder cranks right. banded. Right, so I had an external band where I was working resistance, and so now this is loaded on this side. So my brain is having to pay attention a shit ton, and the amount of neural signaling that's coming to that side is heightened way more. Right, and so depending on what you see, you might have to load it a little bit differently. Right, Um, and that's with anything, whether it's gait or anything else. It's like with training, right? Volume, right? Progressive overload of something, right? Your brain needs novelty, otherwise it goes, I don't care. Well, okay, right? I'm just thinking about, yep. if we're, let's say we're looking at things from a musculoskeletal perspective, mm-hmm. right? just in a, using another analogy, let's use, let's use hypertrophy as an example, mm-hmm. right? Uh, let's say if you're trained, if you're like a strong dude or you're yep. jacked and you've been training for years, the, the intensity that you need to train at has to be at a certain level, mm-hmm. right? Like a person who's never worked out before, is able to get hypertrophy from doing five sets of five at 30 pounds, versus a dude who's been working out for five years in jack mm-hmm. needs to do five sets of five at 150 pounds, mm-hmm. right? So if the person, um, if the person that's a total beginner does 150 pounds, there's obviously a very negative consequence to that, is mm-hmm. because it's probably going to die. Yeah. But what if, yes. what if we do <laughs> it? What if we load it more on this side? Is there like, is there, um, is there a negative consequence? And I'm just mm-hmm. thinking about, obviously, with loading, yeah, if you can't handle it, you can't mm-hmm. handle it. Yeah. But with, like, let's say if we're doing, um, if we're doing complex movements on the opposite side, mm-hmm. of the affected side, and you're doing, let's say, shoulder crank, and mm-hmm. also hip circles, and also ankle circles at the same time, that's a lot of volume, and that's a lot of load, right? Yeah. If you can do shoulder circles, hip circles, and ankle circles at the same time, <laughs> yeah, yeah. fuck yeah. Okay. Because, cool. <laughs> like, dude, like... I like coordinated like if you can do that your cord your cerebellum is amazing. Got it. Because you can coordinate that. Got it. Um, okay, so it's still a capacity thing. Like, oh, hundred percent. Would not even be able to lift one hundred fifty pounds off. Yeah. You, if you don't have that like, yeah. cerebellar capacity, then yeah. you would Just not even be capacity. able to do the no. shoulder crank. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. Right, like. It's a pattern that you have to ingrain, yeah. right? And with any of this, it's just like it's ingrained patterns. So we right? can think of it as progressive overload, and then think of it like. Mm-hmm. I don't even have to drive, but we can think of it as a progressive overload, and we can think of it as go to basically really, really close to the threshold where the quality of movement is still maintained, mm-hmm. and that will be kind of like the money spot. Yeah, I don't like to like I'm not a big like perfect term person, okay. but essentially you're looking for a perfect rep perfect. in that you want to find the stimulus, the load, the threshold mm-hmm. that you can maintain a perfect quality rep. Right? It's why like when I do these drills with people and I first ask someone to do a complex move and I'm like, hey, show an ankle circle and they're like whipping their ankle around, I'm like, no. Hey. Right? Like show control. Yeah. Right? Can you fully control that movement first yeah. and make it perfect? Right. Then we can add complexity. Right. right? So something like cerebellar, something that you really do need to do with cerebellar gate issues is over time add challenges. Yeah. Because with uh, with our brain and with our cerebellum, um, it likes complexity. Yeah. Right, it wants complexity, yeah. especially our brain. Our brain want is it wants novelty, yeah. so you might do something that challenges the speed, yeah. right? So you might do complex movement pattern. Now I want you to do complex movement pattern fast, uh, so it makes you more aware. Yeah. 
yeah. right? Or perturbation, where it's like you're doing a complex movement pattern, but I'm pulling on you as you're doing it. Yeah. And so you're having to adjust and react to that. Right. So again, it creates novelty, it creates awareness, right? So neurologically, that just continues to fire up. Yeah. And if we do specific um, drills, yeah. we're firing up specific areas, okay. right? Um, so, so yeah, it's very much a load uh, perspective, right? What can the person handle? Um, can they handle uh, a greater stacking? Right, yep. uh, load. Like I say, when I was doing it with me, it was a kettlebell. It was someone hanging off my shoulder. It was a freaking banded thing. Yeah. Um, and then they were joking about making me do freaking pencil push-ups at the same time. I'm like, yep. no, <laughs> I'm, like my brain's gonna freaking explode. Got it, got it. Um, so finding the right load that gives us the result. Right. Because with any of these, like this is what we're looking at. Yeah. So biomechanically, we're looking to see what's happening with their SI as they're walking, right. and then neurologically, we're looking to see: do they have bubble head, arm swing? Do they have PMRF? Do they have cerebellar? Then, once you've identified that, yeah. your goal is then, okay, they have a PMRF issue. Okay. We're gonna do a drill, yeah. okay? Usually starting anywhere from five to 10 reps of a given drill, because more often than not, that's, that's a load that someone can handle. Okay. I've, frankly, what I see mostly is that five reps is what someone can truly handle right off the bat, um, as low as that seems, but for the drills, it's quality mm -hmm. is what they can handle. And then we retest. Okay. And what we're looking for in that retest is did it give us the payoff that we wanted? So did it fix this? And then do we see a change here? Right. right? Because if we fix this, ideally we should see a change occur here biomechanically. Ah, I see. Right? So that's where there's the crossover between these two is that neurologically, if we fix their gait, yeah. right, from what we see, we should also see ideally a change in their structure change. Oh. Right? Ideally. Right. If you could, you also see a change neurologically if you change like the other way around. So if, if you, you went you, this way first. If you went that way first. What you have, what you have to ask is if you go this way first, why is the body um, uh, moving in that way originally? Originally. Right. Because if you go this way first and you go lateral shear, right. why is the body moving in that way? So what's their history? Okay. Right. Um, the muscles aren't choosing to move that way or to pull and activate that way. Yeah. So why is it happening? Right? Now, these are the four common things that occur. Okay. Okay. So these are the four most common things that we see with gait pattern. Right. Okay? Um, it doesn't mean that there's other underlying things that potentially have uh, an effect on things. Right. But this is the most common, and these are the categories that we typically see. So when we go biomechanical, when we look at this side, if we were to go from this side first, then work this way, you might like look at how to correct this. Like, what would you think to correct this? If someone had a lateral shear, yeah. what would be the first thought process with that? Right? Lateral shear this way? Yeah. Thought process in terms of... Like, if you were to see that and we were to forget this, oh, okay. and we were to just go, and you were just to focus on biomechanical, yeah. right? Like, the way that I kind of like... Often how this is taught and how, and we've had this conversation before, most of what is taught, whether it's in kinesiology or in RMT or anything that way, is biomechanical, yeah. right? Um, but oftentimes what's missed is the underlying reason of why the body's moving in that specific way. Right, you always think top right? down. Top down. Yeah. So the, the muscles aren't choosing to do that. Right. They're being signaled to do that, right? right? So it's like similar with posture. 
we could look at biomechanically posture and go, oh, well, you have tight pecs mm -hmm. and you have tight this. So, okay, we need to open up pecs, strengthen the back, yeah. right? It's that common thing of, you just need to do back exercises. Right. What is the main driver of posture? It's a reflection action from the brain. Right. So the main driver of poor posture yeah. is a reflexive action, yeah. right? So looking biomechanically at someone's walk, we could look at it from a tissue standpoint and go, okay, well, maybe it's because they're tight here and they're tight here and they're tight there. Yeah. Okay. So if we open, the, if we loosen those tissues, yeah. does it change the pattern? Okay. Right. Maybe. Maybe. But why was that? Why were those tissues tight in the first place? In the first place. Right, right. right. Why was the brain signaling for those tissues to be tight? Right. Right. So look, pursuing it from a neurological standpoint first. Yeah. And identifying, do they have any issues here? Right. Right. If they are perfectly linear, right, everything's nice, they have arm swing, right, no bobblehead, everything's nice, linear, positionally, yeah. this should probably look decent. Mm. I see. Okay. Right? If someone has no external, internal rotation, anything that way, yeah. their gait should look functional. Yeah. Right? But that's not usually the case. Right. Right? Majority of the population, their gait does not look like a functional gait in the sense of like truly functional position. Right. right I'm using functional in a very loosely term, but... Um, that's where looking at it from this perspective first, and then this feeds into this. Got it. Doesn't mean that you couldn't address and go, okay, biomechanically, right? Like you got some tight this, you got some tight that, so that's pulling this way, and you could look at it from that musculoskeletal sense. Right. But we need to consider why is the body tightening up in that way first and foremost. Right. So let's address neuro first okay. and work that and see if that makes a change here. Well, is there a plus? Okay. Well, I, from from what we've been talking about, yep. especially because, yes. So from what we've been talking about, I don't think this would apply. But I have this question: of, mm -hmm. like, you know, like let's say if you have if you have rotation, yep. right, and you're really lacking anterior posterior glide on the SI joint, mm -hmm. and you go to like an osteopath and they do some stuff mm -hmm. to make it so that your, your pelvis is more free, so that you do have anterior posterior glide, mm -hmm. whatever you go to practitioner, that change that they made is not going from basically top down and they're not actually addressing the core problem. It still is though. Okay. Right? So the change that they're doing yeah. is still creating a safety net neurologically. Right? So the thing is with like all of this is the underlying principle that we need to understand is that our brain is yep. looking for safety, okay. right? It's, it's prediction, yep. right? So it's wanting to ensure that what we're doing is safe, okay. first and foremost, and how are we going to survive? Yep. So in go to an osteo, they see a lack of rotation. Yep. They see a lack of AP, or they see more rotation and a lack of AP glide, I should say, yep. right? So they might treat that, right? Now, could that make a change? Yes? Yeah. Right? How long? Don't know. Be dependent on the person. Right. right? Could that person get up and walk 10 steps and it stay the same? Yeah. Or would it be after two steps it goes back to normal? Yeah. Right? Could they walk and an hour later they're still walking normally? That's the thing with this is we want to find the thing that allows them to keep that pattern longer term. So are you okay. saying that all of these things in terms of, let's say like the PMRF, you yep. know that there's some sort of like an inhibition in the PMRF that's causing these symptoms, that's mm -hmm. causing a problem in the gait and it shows up biomechanically. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it that way, then that's going from very like, um, 
you're attacking the core of the problem, mm -hmm. right? But what I'm saying is if you go and you're just trying to fix the thing, mm -hmm. like let's say you get adjusted yep. and you have AP Glide mm -hmm. for a little bit, mm -hmm. you're not actually fixing the core problem. Yeah, so okay. you might have AP Glide, yeah. but you might be having still an, a PMRF issue. Oh, okay, yeah, right? I, okay, that's where I'm having a bit of a hard time understanding, like does, like, does let's say like loss of arm swing correlate directly to rotation? Or no. No, okay. No. So we're going to categorize both of these. Okay. Right? So when you do a gait analysis, you're going to look and go, this person has a, a right PMRF. Yeah. Let's just say, right? They have a right PMRF. And they are, because we're going to go left, right on this, right? They are a category four on the right, and they're a category three on the left. I don't know why I did oh, that so differently. Confusing, man. <laughs> category three, okay. just to mess it up, yeah. right? Category four on the right, category three. Yeah. We go to the uh, lesser of the two. So this yeah. means that they are a category three okay. in their biomechanical SI. Got it. Right? So we first foremost, we want to address the neuro side yeah. to see if that corrects the biomechanical side. Gotcha. Right? Yeah. That's our, that's primary one. Okay. Address neuro first, see if that corrects biomechanical. Gotcha. Okay, but we're categorizing both. Okay, categorizing right? both. Yeah, okay. we're we're both we're looking at both and we're addressing both. So we're always categorize what do they have neurologically? Yeah. What type of gait pattern? What category are they in biomechanically right. from an SI joint function? Right. Right. And so you'll categorize left and right, lesser of the two. Right. Right. And then that's what you categorize them at. Right. Typically, what we see yeah. is that by fixing this, yeah. we see a change there. Right, but let's say by fixing this, we see less of a change here. Yeah. Got it. Right. Yeah, because that's just more like you're addressing musculoskeletal. Yeah. Right? Not the overriding principle that's driving it down, okay. top down. Okay. Right? You're not addressing the thing per se that's, that's stating and, and feeding into it and going, hey, tighten up here, 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 because we don't feel safe okay. in this pattern. Got it. Right? Yeah. Biomechanically, let's yep. say if we're purely going at it from a biomechanical yep. perspective, what causes like uh, what causes no movement or from category one to three? Multiple different things, right? Like, yeah. like it's it's going to be very dependent on their on their history. Yeah. Um, as far as why they have different limitations. Okay. Right, like you know, again, you could have lateral shear due to an ingrained pattern because of what they did, okay. right? You could have lateral shear um, due to a lack of uh, control in some way, shape or form, right. um, or rotation um, that's due to a lack of, of control in some way, shape or form. Okay. Um, again, it's, it's very much based on their history. They could have structural issues yeah. that cause them, right? Yeah. So if someone has hip issues, yeah. right? Then we could see from a structural standpoint, like bony standpoint, right. we might see something that's occurring no movement wise. Pain standpoint, someone's in pain in their hip, that's gonna cause them to move in a certain way, right, to avoid the pain, right? So um, there's a lot of feed down aspects to this, um, yeah. that, that's where the history comes in, right. right? Making sure that you have a full history so that when you do look at their gait, you go, uh, they talked about a hip issue that they have, or they've had um, you know, a history of this type of occupation or whatever, right? right? So. Um, getting understanding their history will then also help kind of guide in what they might look like from a gait pattern perspective. That makes sense. Right? Okay. But it's not like you do have this and it means you're going to have that. 
it really is person specific. Right. Right. So overall picture. Yep. Two categories. Yep. Neurological, biomechanical. Yep. Find categorize it yep. out of the four yep. from each thing. Yeah. And then um, try to address the neurological step first, depending yep. on which category it's in, and then reassess by using the biomechanical categorization. Yep. Yeah, okay. exactly. Can you go over the bobblehead one more time? What's the, that's something I know we don't see very often. Yeah. What's the correction for that? So bobblehead, um, there's multiple different things we can do with this guy. Um, we can uh, do cervical mobilization, okay. right? So cervical spine work. Yeah. Um, again, it's, it's frankly bringing awareness to that area, okay. right? So a lot of the corrections is bringing awareness to the area. Um, we can do TMJ mobilization okay. or movement um, because uh, our jaw and its function actually play a huge role in the stabilization of our neck and our right. body. Right. Um, so we can do cervical um, stuff, cervical and TMJ work. Yeah. Um, but we can also do eyes and vestibular, right? So, so vestibular. And also what was the cause of that? Um, so cause of this can be a multiple factors. Um, with bobbleheads, sometimes we have um, a uh, eye issue, okay. so um, that's why working eyes can uh, help it. Yeah. So if someone lacks the ability to stabilize yeah. onto an object, okay. then they'll have a uh, okay. simple bobblehead. Um, vestibular could be an issue, okay. concussions, whiplash, different things that way. Their brain doesn't quite understand where their head's at in space, so as yeah. they're walking, they're like kind of woo all over the place. Yeah. Um, they could have midline instability. So if they have midline instability and, and they're uh, dysfunctional there, then again, their, their head is going to counter mm -hmm. where their body's at, right? So if, if, if there's lack of understanding of midline, then the, there's gonna be a kind of a, a trickle effect up to the neck and head, where the head's kind of balancing, kind of figure out where it is because there's lack of, of stability here, right? Um, cervical stuff, right? Cervical movement and TMJ plays a role in SI and low back, right? Oh, okay. So if we have any issues down here, yeah. doing this can also neurologically help us in our movement and function in our SI and low back, yeah. which then can help our head stay in position better, Got it. right? Yeah. Because our body's always finding neutral and finding balance, yeah. right? To keep us safe. Yeah. So it doesn't feel like it's gonna fall over. Right. So bobblehead is essentially it trying to find that that balancing point yeah. so that it doesn't fall over and die. Yeah. That's what it thinks. Yeah. Even though we feel fine, yeah. but that's what it thinks. So cervical TMJ, doing mobilization there, we, we not only bring awareness to those joints, yeah. right? So our, our body can understand our head's movements in space, yeah. um, but that also neurologically opposing joint theory, yeah. um, other video, check it out. Um, opposing joint theory, cervical TMJ, lumbar spine and SI. That, can oh, have an the, effect on that. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. So, so, so cervical neck and TMJ, yeah. looking at it from an opposing joint, joint theory, goes straight into goes this. Goes straight into this. Got it. Got right? It. So if we have issues yeah. with stabil stabilization of lower body, yeah. we're lacking SI function, etc., this can help that, yeah. which can also help our, our the wobble head. Right. Right? So that's, and that's also, it seems like the bobble head is more of a multi-layered problem. It is. Rather than a PMR. It's, it's very much more neuro, like, these are all neurological, but yeah. there's a deeper thing when you see someone with bobblehead. Yeah, right. Especially if you're looking at it from like this is a visual system. And yeah, system exactly. That, that goes deeper. Right? That goes deeper into the system layers, right? Okay. Whereas something like a loss of arm swing, the fix is 
bring more awareness to that arm. Right. It's a relative. It's neurological. Yeah. But it's a relatively simplistic thing. What's the because everything goes through the brain, I guess. Mm-hmm. So from the loss of the arm swing one, the category two, um, or the type two one. Um, what's the deficiency or the inhibition that's hap- that's causing that in the first place? So loss of arm swing. Usually, what's what's occurring with the loss of arm swing is that force is not being transmitted throughout uh, that whole chain. Okay. So we don't have, the force gets lost somewhere. Okay. So often what I'll do with someone with lost arm swing is I'll get them doing shoulder cranks yeah. to bring awareness um, to the shoulder and, and create mo- uh, movement and mobility in that shoulder on the side that's affected. Yeah. And then through that now force is, there's a greater uh, sort of connection there. Yeah. And so we'll typically see arm swing come back with that. So it just brings a greater awareness to that joint and to that area. Um, so usually it's just due to a force dissipation issue right. uh, in the body. So the force is coming up and it's getting lost somewhere else, right? right? Um, which also feeds into this. Right. So one of the things that potentially causes these things right. is that force comes in, you take a step, yep. and it doesn't travel up the body very well, so you might get rotation or you might get shear because the force is getting transmitted there, right? right? And it's lost through this, so we might not see arm swing with it because of that, right? Can, can I look at ground reaction force as kind of like the... The, the overarching thing that kind of trickles down into either biomechanical problems or neurological problems? Because I can't, I yeah. can't like, from the loss of arm swing, I can see that, because you oh. just described it to me. Mm-hmm. And, like, let's say you take a stride mm-hmm. and the ground reaction force comes up the legs, crosses over, mm-hmm. goes into the opposite shoulder, and displaces the tricep, arm extends. Mm-hmm. That's why, if you don't have that, that makes sense. Okay, no, you know what, that's right. That's what you first talked about as an example. Yeah. So that, that was an example that you used when yeah. we first talked about yeah, yeah. grand reaction force. Yeah. So this one could be just like, you could say like deficiency in dissipating ground reaction force would be the cause of it? Potentially, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, lack of awareness of those joints in the, that pattern. Yeah. Right? Like, again, all of this like underlying thing um, with the body is if the body doesn't have awareness of a certain region. Yeah then it's not going to produce strength or force there adequately. Yeah. Right? That's why, like, mobile joints equate to stronger joints and stronger movement. Right? Immobile stuff, you're going to put the brakes on. Yeah. So the more, the clearer the map of the body, the more output you're going to get. And so if someone doesn't have a clear map of that side and they don't really have arm swing there, right? Let's bring some awareness to that. Yeah. Let's wake that up. Yeah. Make the brain go, oh, you do have an arm. Okay, cool. And let's do that, right? right? Um, again, you have to find the right load and stimulus for the person yeah. um, in order for that to come back effectively. Got it. Right. Okay. But it's from a from a whole standpoint, relatively straightforward. Yeah. Right. A little more complex. Right. You have to look at load and and whatnot and and what the the threshold is for the person. Got it. Similarly, load and threshold for the person. Yeah. Um, this is just done from a stabilization uh, ipsilaterally so of the issue and. Yeah. Movement, complex movement, contralaterally. Yep. This is done all uh, ipsilaterally. Complex movement, ipsilaterally. Right. Right. Um, and then again, doing this, we should see a change occur over here. But you're categorizing both. Yeah. So you're looking at someone's gait, and you're going, they have this, right, on the right side, and then they're a three on the left and a four on the right. So overall, they're a three lesser of the two. Yeah. Um, and then we look to see if that makes a change over here Got it. and gives us the, the result that we want, right? That way the 
foundation is there. Yep. If it gets a correction, we go, cool, now your gate's corrected. Yep. Now let's build on that. Got it. Right? From a training perspective and, and whatnot. Yep. Build on that. It might mean that you come back and in between your rest periods, you come back and do the drill. Yep. Right? So that we maintain nice position. Yep. And it's just a matter of over time, you just see what works for that person, what gives them the highest payoff. Got it. Yeah. Sweet. Okay. Awesome. I'm going to do it one more time just because I want a really concrete, <laughs> concrete. <Yeah. laughs> um, I'm, let's say I'm assessing somebody. Yep. I'm getting them to walk. Yep. And then I get them to walk there and back. Mm -hmm. And then I first assess how they're walking. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to give them some type of, type of dual tasking yep. so that I can actually see. Now yep. I can see what it does to see them. See what it does to yep. them. If it changes, yep. cool. Now yep. we're actually getting their movement. And yep. I can look at it from a, now I'm starting to assess from a biomechanical perspective yep. and also from a neurological perspective. Yep. And, and it gives you their ability, it starts to teach you how well they can process information. Got it. Right? Got it. So it's a kind of a deeper third layer. Deep, deep but third layer. you could look at it from like, oh, this person struggles with processing external information. So when you're teaching them, yeah. you got to understand that. So it gives you a little bit of a different uh, perspective totally. as well. Totally. So maybe it's a little bit harder for them to do very complex movements yeah. versus, okay, got yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. It also gives them their movement capacity. Yeah. Got it. Right? Cool. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And then, and then what I do is, since I'm looking at both of those things while they're doing the dual tasking so that mm -hmm. I, can, I can see their true gait, yep. um, I look at the, look for the categories from the biomechanical perspective mm -hmm. i look for the type from the neurological perspective yeah. i first address the neurological first yeah. and see if that makes any difference in the biomechanical yeah. uh, category exactly right and then you, what you might do is if you just do this on a very basic level yeah. and you see man didn't really give us a lot of change you know that it's a pmrf thing because yeah. of the the pattern but you're yeah. like didn't really do a lot you might add a little bit of load yeah. just because they might need it yeah. and then see Right, and, keep, and then keep and just keep reassessing, and that's where like when when I do a full assessment with someone, yeah. um, I'm like you're gonna just be walking a lot today. Yeah. So yeah, like yeah, I'll do a drill because yeah. further to this in, in future conversations we have when we start to look at eyes and vestibular system stuff yeah. and how that incorporates into training, we do this as the first thing, gait analysis. Okay, I identify what you have. Yeah. Now when I assess your eyes, yeah. I'm gonna do an eye drill. Yeah. Then I'm gonna have you walk. Yeah. See did it fuck up your gait? Yeah. Right and then continue on, ah, right? And if it, it fucked up your gate, okay, I'm gonna come back, we're gonna do that drill again, yeah. and we're gonna find the high payoff thing yeah. that always brings you back to neutral, yeah. brings you back to zero, right? right? And then continue to drill, Got it. right? So with any of this, we're always looking for high payoffs. Got it. Things that give our brain a win and makes our, our brain feel happy. Got it. Because what we know with high payoffs is that they'll bring us back to neutral, back right. to normal, right. um, and then we can continue from there. So from your, from your practice, mm -hmm. what are some of the biggest things that you've seen ever, uh, since you corrected someone's, um, someone's gait? What do you mean? Like, like biggest things? Biggest, biggest, uh, biggest changes, like biggest positive changes to either their physical or even their mental capacities. Like, um, this is like, I don't know, like a correction of pain yeah. or um, being able to have like, I don't know, like even clearer mind or whatever. Yeah. So the two biggest ones are uh, pain um, elimination, okay. essentially. Um, so they fix their gait pattern, and now they have no pain. Um, in the pain that they came in with yeah. has dissipated. Now, okay. that's very, like, it's specific, yeah. right? It's not like, oh, magically do this, and, like, all pain goes away. Exactly. But it's just, I've, that has happened where we've corrected someone's gait pattern, right. and due to that correction, right. their body didn't feel threatened anymore, so the pain signal went away. 
Okay. Ah, uh, yeah. And uh, not even, and you're not even looking at the joints that take, or the muscles of the joints that take the most structural um, impact from walking. So it's even no. like your fingers. Mm -hmm. You could, you could. Yep. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, because again, on the baseline level, your brain is is prediction. Yeah. Right. It's looking at prediction. Yeah. And that's what it, it wants to do. It wants to predict. Uh, it's a prediction machine. Yeah. So it's looking to see and understand better and better and better what's about to happen. Got it. And its main focus is to stay alive. Okay. Yeah. Main focus is so that you don't die. Yeah. Now, that's where pain, limitation uh, in movement, um, gut issues, yeah. all these things that, that make us stop yeah. and make us go, eh, that we hate because yeah. it sucks, it feels like crap. Yeah. It's a signal. Yeah. And it's telling us, hey, I need you to do something. Got it. It can't tell us exactly what, but it says, hey, I need you to do something. Got it. Now, yes, with some gait uh, corrections, sometimes pain has gone away. Because now the load force and all of that and the movement pattern and everything, the brain feels safer. Mm. Right? Um, with some of the stuff in corrections, it brings stability into the body in a way that um, it feels safer. Mm. Right? It feels more in control. Mm. Because that's what's also happening. Like... We're correcting this, right. say with some stability exercises, right. right? But you're also doing stabilization exercises, right? right? You're right. doing movement exercises. You're yeah. creating a clear map of the body, yeah. so the body's getting more stable in an area that it felt unstable, yeah. and so it felt threatened by. Yeah. So it's correcting this thing, yeah. but on like an underlying connection of that is yeah. that you're getting a clear map. You're getting a clear map. Whatever you're doing is creating a clear map. So your brain goes, ah, I'm not as threatened, yeah. right? For some things, if it's like eye work or vestibular work, yeah. we're now drilling those systems that were weakened yeah. and not as clear. Yeah. And so now the brain goes, ooh, I can see better, Got it. right? Ooh, I can balance better. Okay, so now I'm feeling safer. Right. So we have a, um, a pain inhibition um, or limitation of movement. Mm -hmm. So we do a drill and all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah. fuck, my, my shoulder movement, yeah. right? Um, basically, like at the end of the day with the gait stuff is getting us to a foundational neutral right that's what i'm always wanting to do with gate okay. is using it to get to a neutral base Got it. that i can then build off of right so if someone has a, a gate issue mm -hmm. i want to ensure that we address the gate issue mm -hmm. and find the highest payoff that brings them to a neutral state in their gate yep. one that looks fun like normal mm -hmm. gate pattern um and then we build off of that and we might always come back to that high payoff during rest periods, et cetera. Yeah. Always keep drilling that, drilling that, drilling that. Yeah. And it will progress and load and, and whatnot yeah. as needed. But it's always just bringing them back to that neutral state so that I know that any other thing I'm doing, yeah. whether it's squat cleans, whether it's push-ups, yeah. whether it's whatever, yeah. the body is, is in that neutral state to start with. Right. right. And then we build off of that with their training Got it. and everything else. Cool. Right. Some of the some of the <laughs> biggest things that like we we see more of a, a, a payoff, like yeah. not more of a payoff with, but a, like a more like whoa, like immediate thing is yeah. when we get into like eyes and vestibular. Yeah. Um, just because of the role they play in movement, in movement. and understanding movement and position. And that's a deeper layer that we can. That's a deeper layer that we can talk about. Yeah. 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 But yeah, this is where gate you always just come back to, right? No matter what other system you're working, mm. right? Even when you're training, you're doing strength work. Just right? because, just because this number is so astounding. In yeah. Terms of the just because of the amount of volume, like someone comes in and trains for an hour, a general population comes in, they train for an hour, yeah. right? They're under some load during that hour, yeah. right? 
um, sometimes it's squatting, sometimes it's pressing, like whatnot. So they're under some load during that hour, but the cumulative load, yeah. throwing shit now, the cumulative load throughout the day yeah. is freaking high really with walking. Yeah. So when they walk out of here and they go about their day, yeah. let's try to give them something that brings them to neutral. And from right? your practice, that's the, the, the pain elimination or the reduction has been something that has been the greatest payoff in yeah, like the, that feeling of like, I always feel like achy or broken or yeah. whatever. Yeah. And we correct their gait. Yeah. Because now they're functionally walking. Yeah. And again, this isn't like, you do it once and it immediately changed. Yeah. It's not how it works. Th yeah. Right? I, like, know, I, even, I even heard about like, a, like, an, like an NBA player yeah. or like a basically NBA player being limited to how much they can actually walk during the rest days or yeah. during like outside of right. training. Yeah. Just because it's so much freaking this low. This force. Yeah, right? exactly. Right? You think of those guys running up and down a court. I mean, sport in general. Yeah. Running up and down the court. That amplifies the load. Totally. Right? Yeah. Even more. Yeah. So if you have guys that are NBA player, 80, 82 games in a year or whatever yeah. it is, yeah. um, the, the force and jumping load and all yeah, that. exactly. Do we want to continue to add more to that? Yeah. No, I want you to fucking chill out. Yeah. And right? especially if the gate is off. Yeah. And especially if they're like walking or even mm -hmm. running gate is off, yeah. then... Yeah. yeah so again, it's not perfect. Like, yeah. like the body will resort back to what it it, it feels most comfortable in. Yeah. But our goal is to drill this, get them to neutral, and continue to drill it. Yeah. So then that becomes the new predictive normal. Got it. Right. Got it. Because it needs to like it needs that that reps. Got so you it. need to put the reps in for it to go. Okay. No, this is now the new normal. Not, okay. Right. It does, it's not going to just like you might do this drill and yeah. again. It'll last for five steps, and yeah. they go, oh, crap, they lost it again. Yeah. Then you keep doing it. Now it's 10 steps. Right. Now it's two minutes. So what, what would you say? Would you say, like, let's say we figured all this stuff out, and we figured mm -hmm. out what we need to correct, and we've mm -hmm. tested and retested and figured out that, okay, this is the, this is the prescription that I need to give this person so yeah. that they can walk better. Yeah. In terms of what you recommend them do, it's just like, hey, before you, when you first thing when you wake up, do this. Yeah. When you take a break, do this. Yeah. Okay. So it, it's simply like... Again, I use the PMRF just because it's, uh, I don't know, I find it's contextual a little bit easier. But um, before training, you're going to do your stabilization exercise yeah. and your contralateral movement exercise throughout the day. Anytime that you can, you're going to do anything that stabilizes that affected side mm -hmm. and you're going to do complex movements on the other side. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be at the same time, mm -hmm. but it could simply be, okay, you're sitting at your desk. Mm -hmm. I want you to do complex movements with the other side okay. just to continue to fire to that side, right? Um, if you're standing waiting for the bus, I want you to stand on your right leg because this is the affected side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like simple shit simple stuff. that they can just add into their day that continues to fire what we want to fire. Got it. Right? And, and work that. Yeah. Right? Um, because as we know from a neuroplasticity standpoint of the brain, mm -hmm. we can continue to change that. And the more that we bring awareness to something, the more it's going to create connections. Got it. Right? So, yeah. In the darkest of days, sometimes we find out who we are. Be the change or hit the bottom, hit it hard. We have a choice, yeah, we can take the power away and turn it into something to believe in. Believe in, it's up to you. It's up to you. Voices rising like a church choir.